Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Guys, it is episode 84 of Working Class on DeerCast. Thank you for being here, supporting the community in DeerCast. If you're not on DeerCast, go to the episode description and the audio version. Use the promo code, get on there, join a community of deer hunters with uh, people like me and Mr. Nick Morris. We're there. What's up, man? What's up with you, Kirk? Thanks for coming to the studio. <laughs> man, I'm ready to go. We've been uh, talking about doing this episode a while. Uh, we met through Mark. Uh, well, actually, we, we were talking before the podcast. We met when Mark killed that giant. Well, he kills giants every year, but the super giant two seasons ago. Yep. And we were kind of in the middle of celebrating with Mexican food and margaritas. That's correct. So thanks for being here, man. Ah, thanks for having me. This is this is exciting. You and I are a lot alike, I feel like. Yes, big heads. Big heads? Yes. Big heads, similar story. Uh, <laughs> not a similar stories, but similar uh, situations we've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been awesome, man, getting to know you. Same here. So, a lot of fun. I think you you need to be a reoccurring guest more often and, and get you in the mix of the entire WCB crew. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if my story is that interesting, <sighs> but your story is definitely interesting. You're, a, you're an interesting dude, man. <laughs> you're an interesting guy. And you're good on camera. You don't give yourself enough credit. Um, I feel like I'm the same on camera as I am when nobody's watching. So. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I catch the same vibe. I feel like, yep. you know, watching you on Drury and then meeting you and hanging out with you for as long as we've hung out, you know, and, and we haven't hung out a ton, but I think you're, you're our people, man. A little more censorship when the camera's on. That's yeah. all right. But that we yep. got, so that's what DeerCast keeps me in check. Like yep. I go from being damn near canceled every week on my other <laughs> series. And this, like, this keeps me like, uh, regulated, you know? Yep. Yeah, because I feel like lately I'm just like the way the world is pushing against like our uh, our type of people. Yeah, like our culture of people, yeah. it makes me lash out to go the other way. I'm I counter steering. Correct. Maybe too hard. Balance. Balance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keeping everybody balanced. So. Yin and yang. Yin and yang. Yeah. So what's up, man? Let's, let's talk about Mr. Nick Morris here, man. Where are you from? What do you do? 
Oh, where am I from? Well-traveled, uh, originally from Alabama. Uh, met my wife in South Carolina, settled in South Carolina. And then somewhere around 2010, 2011, me and my wife got the itch to follow our outdoor lifestyle to the Midwest, mm-hmm. raise our children in a small town, and incorporate that into our outdoor lifestyle at the same time. So yeah. there's no mix. I mean, there's no difference between family and outdoors for us. It is the same, mm-hmm. um, integrated very well. Our children are outdoors people. Yeah. Me and my wife are outdoors people. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, not so much on the hunting side, but she definitely has no issue with preparing anything that we harvest from the outdoors. So it's beautiful. Do you know what we say? You can't kill big bucks if your wife sucks. That's so right. Right. If she's in support, that's all you can ask for, man. That's right. I need to get her one of those t-shirts. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get, we'll hook, we'll hook her up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, man, that's awesome. So, um, that's the first thing I, I noticed when I met you, I'm like, man, this guy's got a deep Southern accent from being from the Midwest. So I don't hear it. Everybody from the Midwest hears. I feel like I sound like you. Yeah. Um, now give me about three days at home with all my family, and it comes back quick and strong. Rubs back off. Oh, quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we go we go any amount north, and I have a southern accent all of a sudden. Right. So You're I'm a like, southerner. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You've never met someone from Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, no, man. I think there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. I like what I like about watching you is like you're with your kids a lot. Yes. On on the episodes. And and I wanted to talk about that too. I want to talk, you know, deer specific stuff and get into some deer cast um, talk with you because you're, you're strategic in your hunting. I can tell that I can tell you're a calculated. Right. Um, I can tell you're a real hunter, which is a big deal. That's all we care about. And most everybody on jury, oh, everybody on jury is a real hunter and we know yes. that, but like there's some people that might come in that maybe get on the show for other reasons rather than being like a real cultured, like deer hunter, you know, yeah. like we talked a little bit, but um, the kid, you know, hunting with your kids is big for me lately because I grew up hunting with my dad and I have young kids now and I want to get them into hunting if I can help it. Um, if they're not into it, you know, whatever. But, um, so I just want to, I wanted to pick your brain a little about like raising kids in the outdoors. Okay. Yeah. Well, so for us, um, it's not even as if we're raising kids in the outdoors. It's almost like it is a natural way of life for us. And mm. then we have to pass that to our kids. Okay. So it's not as if we make a big deal about opening day for our kids. It is a natural thing that's going to happen with our children and has happened with our children as the seasons come and go. Yeah. So um, it's not even a, a thing that is thought about. It's sort of like breathing. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it's something you pass down. Yeah. Um, and I don't separate it as it, I, I, I see where people separate it sometimes talking, um, where you see on, on, uh, hunting shows or they make a big deal out of it. It's, it's not a big deal in our family. It mm. is, it's like getting ready for supper. And maybe that's the way to go about it. Right. Maybe people put too much emphasis on like, Oh, I got to make sure my kid loves hunting. Right. Like just kind of like, to, for me, I just want my kids to like hunting because I like it so much. Right. So so now my kids are so young that they don't know. I mean, that's where where it starts is where I'm at now. It's like, it's just what they do. Right. And then it just continues that way, and I don't ever have to think about it. Yeah, you don't. It's it's imprinting, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. imprinting. So they're going to naturally want to do what you want to do. Right. Um, And I naturally want to pass it down to them just like my father passed it down to me. Yeah. So. um, Like, what's it feel like, though, like, you know, I watched you kill Deadpool on one of the episodes and, and you got your son with you filming you. Like, what's that vibe? What does that feel like 
as a dad to have your son with you running camp. Like he's doing high level stuff for his age and it's your kid. So there's got to be something to that where you think you, I'm sure like you're sitting there in a tree stand, you look at your son and you're like, man, I'm proud of this right now. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it's like you're Oprah right now and a gas leak just broke out for me. So it's hard for me to talk about I Yeah, get emotional because it, it's something that you can't explain on a microphone. Uh, it's a feeling of euphoria that you get while you're in the tree, while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, heritage based, genetic based, instinct based and to pass something like that to your child and to watch your child be better at it than you are <laughs> yeah. like i i don't handle cameras like he does or understand how to capture it like he does and mm-hmm. mark or josh or um carson any of those guys will tell you that that he's talented as far as the camera goes and i'm not so mm-hmm. um but camera aside i it, i don't we don't do it for the camera um or for the notoriety we're literally the camera is there capturing what we naturally do when the camera's not there. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we try to film our hunts and to watch him nail that as a 15 year old kid. So the videos you've seen is that him as a 15 year old. Yeah. And even as a 14 year old, if you go back a couple of seasons. So yeah, uh, the special thing is to have it documented. Right. So I can go back and watch that memory. Your memory is one thing, but then when you can go back and just literally sometimes me and my wife catch ourselves at night falling asleep watching him do his thing and just like this sense of fulfillment comes over so that you can't explain. Yeah. You got to yeah. go experience it with your kids. And I would encourage anyone out there and I've encouraged it on, on camera before. If you want to really understand hunting and really understand the importance of it and passing it down, go do it with your kid and you'll immediately recognize the importance of it. Yeah. It's hard to explain or describe the importance of it, mm-hmm. but the feeling you get when you're doing it with your children will give you all you need to know to, keep doing it yeah no i love that man it's just been with our crew we all have young kids you know at wcb so we talk about a lot it's been a topic of conversation i guess frequently um recently anyway like it's uh you know what age is the age to get them try to kill a deer and how do we do this and i I guess we're more concerned with like making sure they like hunting Uh, and and it's like do how pushy do you get but i think your attitude of just like you're just doing it and they just do it yeah, so I've got three children. Um, oldest child, Kaylin, she does not care about the harvesting or that part of it at all, but mm-hmm. she loves to eat it. She'll be the first one at the table when it's on the table. Yeah. So yeah. she enjoys it that way. Which is cool. Right. Yeah. And we don't push her to go do the part she doesn't like. Yeah. Um, but she's ready to eat it when it's there. Yeah. Um, my middle daughter, uh, Kinsley, and then my son, Mason, they both, they, they both love doing all of it. They want to do the harvest and the eating. And, um, mm-hmm. and so we incorporate it into our family life, uh, sustenance-based, um, just, just teaching them the importance of being connected to nature and how nature can feed you and, and you know, help you survive. And yeah. without sounding like a prepper, um, <laughs> it's not that for us. Like It is an actual lifestyle. It's, it's part of your life similar to breathing or drinking water. You know? yeah, yeah. It's not something that was ever thought, hey, we should do this. It's just something we do and something we've always done. Yeah. Something in both sides of my family that we've passed down from generation to generation, and we yeah. we love doing it. Dude, I love it. One thing I love about you, too, man, when you walked in the studio, you're like, yeah, you're actually a hunter. Like, you kind of like, <laughs> there was like a, I don't know, there's like almost like a uh, authentic, like, uh, checklist a little bit with a hunt like a hunter knows when another hunter's a hunter yes yes and like we I, I have that with you instantly and i feel like you had that you know you told me that right and you walked like okay yeah you, 
you passed. You know, so it's like it shows you really do live that because I feel like you have to live that life and be a real hunter. And and I don't know, that might seem vague and a little gray to someone who doesn't know what we're talking about. But and I didn't know how we explain that. But I feel like there it's a thing, right? Like it's a it's a cultural. Am I getting too deep with it there? You know what I mean? No, I don't think so. I, so like driving over. My wife is concerned that I'm going to meet you and not like you because you're not a real hunter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, babe, relax. I think uh, I think this guy's the real deal. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, not that I have anything against people who, that aren't, but um, when you when it's ingrained in the fabric of your being, you are curious if someone that you're interacting with is has that in common with you. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. and and you when you recognize it, you immediately recognize it. Mm-hmm. I immediately recognize it with Mark when I met Mark. Yeah. Uh, which is why I'm willing to, you know, interact with Mark and mm-hmm. probably Mark the same way with me and probably Mark the same way with you or anybody in the hunting industry. So some of us are more picky with who we interact with than others are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I love it. Different dude. reasons. I love that filter because <laughs> I feel like I have that and I'm like kind of self-conscious about that a little bit. And I feel like as I've gotten older, you as you get older, you control who you're around a little more. Yes. You know, you're in high school, you're in school, you're, you're doing shit you don't want to do, you necessarily want to do. And you're around people you don't really want to be around. And if I can control, if I can be around only hunters, I'm going to really just control that and be only around people I want to be around. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough with my career path and like people I've met in the industry that I've been able to do that. Like, you know, um, our whole crew is who I surround right. myself with and the jury crew. Right. Everybody's a killer. Everyone's a hunter. We talk about the same stuff, similar mindset. It's uh, it's nice. Yeah. And uh, especially now with how wild things are getting, it's like, uh, yeah. where are we at? But, you know, we all know the guy who's uh, pretending in anything, hunting or not. Right. You know, it could be anything. But, um, okay, so I, I wanted to touch on, you know, raising kids with a passion for hunting. And I just I saw the hunt with Deadpool and your son filming you, and I, I just thought that was cool because – I've hunted with my dad, and now my daughter, my daughter, and my son. I can't imagine what it'd be like hunting with them when they're older. You know, like shooting deer, having them film me shoot a deer, have me film them shoot a deer. That whole process has to be. I don't know. I, I can't fathom it yet. Yeah. So, how do you get into describing what that feels like? So, I have filmed him take deer. He has filmed me take deer, and there's several deer that he's taken on film that are nice and. Um, so take Deadpool just for instance, um, the amount of time that went in with me and him that we shared together preparing for that hunt, which mm-hmm. goes three months back probably. Um, so then it all culminates into one moment on film and the, the amount of emotions and, and for me, it's not like, um, upset emotions. It's just like a sense of pride mm-hmm. that you and your son went through this process together which is not easy it looks easy on film but well they're um, seeing just a sliver of the pie chart like three percent of what actually happens (laughs) going to killing the deer yeah right but and that's where a lot of the uh, criticism comes in online but what i don't think people understand is yeah there must be nice people come out of the woodwork when they see just the the limited amount of it like you know like right so that hunt in particular if you look at some of the comments um a lot of people picking it apart but you read the comments uh, hell yeah. It's a va- I learned my lesson, man. No. Never I'm, read the comments. I'm petty like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They can talk about me, but don't talk about my family. Okay. I want your address if that I happens. hear you. Okay. <laughs> that, okay. It changes, that does change the vibe a little bit. Yeah. I got so, it. Yeah. So, um, 
seeing him go through the whole process and him handle himself the way he handled himself and capture that, the camera work was really good on that. Oh hunt, yeah, that particular hunt. Yeah, and he's a fifteen-year-old at the time. So, yeah, I mean, how do you describe that? It's kind of hard, other than just a overwhelming sense of pride within you that you're like holy moly that's my that's my child doing yeah, yeah. that you know yeah so to watch them go you know you're watching your child go uh-huh. do things like that's something that i mean only parents can understand um so i don't have a great way to describe it other than uh maybe there's no way to to describe it yeah i mean you you start it's a pressure inside the chest, I guess, is the physical way I would describe it. And yeah. then just a sense of fulfillment and um, happiness that you feel that, that your child is understanding nature and the, the cycle of nature. And, mm-hmm. and wants to be a part of it the way they're a part of it, too. That's pretty awesome. Right. And understanding life and death and the cycle. And um, there's this, I mean, you could go into a three-hour conversation about all yeah. the importance yeah. of all of it. By know, the way, so. great shot on that buck. Yeah. You pinwheeled that sucker, dude. Yeah. I'm a hell of a shot. I don't <laughs> dude, care to say it. Hey. <laughs> killers kill. Yeah, killers kill. Killers I know, kill. I know when to kill. Um, my so, boy does too. So. In that episode, you guys talk about, uh, I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on entry and exit when that hunt. Um, you know, you guys showed a lot with DeerCast maps on there on like how you're getting in and out and showing where the stand was and all that. Like, you know, did you set that stand for the deer or did you set that stand for the ease of entry and exit and hoping that deer would be there? Both. Both. Um, so... Deadpool in particular was a deer that that was very mobile. So he was he he covered a lot of ground. But right there before that hunt, so probably two to three weeks before he started showing up there pretty regular. Regular enough to where we knew if we had the right wind we could go in and probably have a good chance at him. And I think I I think on that video I actually talk about that. I think I talked about his regularity. I'm not sure. But anyways, he was showing up regular enough to where he was one of the main targets there. There were a couple other deer there that could have possibly passed through that area, but we designed it so that the mature bucks would move through that spot. So Mm -hmm. if you watch that video, if anybody watches that video, you'll notice that a lot of the the younger deer would come in and out of that area that we're in a different way, but the mature bucks, which are usually lazier by nature yeah just like, me like old you. dogs yeah kind of yeah we don't want to climb a fence or jump over a fence we <laughs> yeah. want to walk through the easy part so we set that up did you just call me mature yeah you're mature by uh, now yeah son of a bitch you're not far from gray damn <laughs> <laughs> i'm already there damn yeah i was gonna say you're like a, a silver fox i was gonna compliment you with that i, I agree with that okay I, I think my wife would too okay too. but yeah so that particular spot we set up for we knew that if a mature buck coming to the area, which Deadpool was, yeah. that he would likely take that ease of approach that he did take. Mm-hmm. And I think if you notice in the video, I actually point to where I'm hoping I kill him in an hour and a half. Yeah, I like actually, that he called your he, shot. I mean, he re- literally walked to that spot before I shot him. So, mm-hmm. a very exciting hunt for us, and and um, not the biggest deer we had on the property, but one of the more interesting deer that unique we had. character. I I yeah. love I love that like extra. Stuff on the base, like I want, I want something a deer like that with some real unique character is like one of my whitetail checklists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that buck had it. Uh, but yeah. I, I do love that you guys emphasize on entry exit because I just I I've been talking more and more about entry exit as uh, the podcast progresses. Like right now, I we just drilled in a bunch of like access on one of the pieces I can hunt for, specifically for entry and exit, mm-hmm. like uh, like sorghum grass blend. 
Uh, it's a uh, big time. It's a company borderline. And we, I just did a whole entry exit strategy to get into a plot. Um, and I feel like that's like the big thing people screw up. And when, if you don't know, you don't know, but once you learn like, Oh, I've been accessing this area wrong. That's why I'm not seeing the deer I want to see. You know, I think right. that's a bit wind entry and exit is the biggest. Are you asking me when and where? No, I think that is. And I, I just, what I'm saying is I like that you guys emphasized on your entry exit in that episode. You, know, right. you talked about how important it was. Yeah. So it's like similar to like, um, say if you're a dog owner and you feed your, your dogs, right. And then the, the, um, a good example of how smart a deer is, is similar to a, a lab, a Labrador retriever. So if you have, which we do, um, dogs, and the way your dogs pattern you, they, they know when you're moving in and when you're moving out as far as like going to the kennel to feed them or moving out or just by the way you come out of the house, what you're going to do. So mm-hmm. a deer is very similar to that. And when you enter a deer's environment, they're way more aware than most people realize that you were there or you're not there. Yeah. And they tolerate you being there in a certain way, and then there's a certain way that they don't tolerate you being there. So mm-hmm. if your entry is such that they're tolerable to it, which, you know, on that hunt was a great example. Yeah. Um, there were for sure deer that were, that knew that we were in there whenever we were in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, entry and exit, I would argue that most serious deer hunter will, deer hunters out there will understand that that is probably primary. The most primary reason why you're going to kill that deer is yeah. if you're cautious about how you get into his area or not. Mm-hmm. And he's probably still going to know you're there or know that you entered the area. Yeah. But the trick is, does he know you left or are you still around? Right. So, and I think that's key, what they will tolerate and what they won't tolerate. And some deer will tolerate more than other deer will. For sure. Yeah. yeah. They all got different personalities just like me and you. So. Yeah. Just like dogs. They're personality-based like yep. a lot. Yep. And I just like that conversation of, you know, entry, exit, and then I've always really been – I feel like the big thing that changed uh, my perspective on whitetail hunting was uh, like the conversation on hunting quartering wins like a wind that works for a deer, but also works for you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once you understand like that, how deer use wind and entry and exit, I feel like that's the main like bullet points to the recipe. And there's a lot more in there, but I feel like if you can nail those for a spot, stand or tree, whatever you want to set up or a food plot, whatever you're going to design, I feel like that's like the base of the formula, you know? Yes. And I feel like it took me a while, like – I'm lucky that I get to, I talk to people about deer hunting <laughs> and I learned some shit. So one of my buddies is like, oh yeah, quartering wins. I'm like, explain that. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I always think, well, the wind's blowing that way. I want to be over here. Well, deer's not going to walk with the wind to his back. Right. You know, so I'm like, oh, quartering wins make perfect sense. Right. So, well, and, and something I don't see people talk about very often that I, that I feel is important is that the height um that you're at so like stand height yeah so we try to get uh 20 to 25 feet and my wife does not like this by the way especially when i'm <laughs> taking my son up there but so if you if you have an evening where there's there's very little wind movement you know say two to three miles an hour and you're 25 foot up in a tree well then you've got a window of about i, I would argue 70 yards before your scent hits the ground so we take into account when we set up our stands like say that in the particular hunt with Deadpool, it was 40 yards to the other side of that um, um, biologic radish plot. Mm-hmm. So we knew that anything coming to that plot, even with on the downwind side of us, that our scent is probably going to you know, move 70 to 80 yards before it was low enough 
to for, to affect the deer. So we actually had deer in the plot downwind of us when Deadpool come in that our scent was actually going over mm-hmm. before it hit the ground. So I don't see people – well, I ain't going to say I don't see people. I, I think that that's something that people should take into consideration. Like you don't always have to hunt a perfect win. Yeah. Um, there are times where you really play that fine line of a quartering wind or there's not much wind. How long does it take your scent to hit the ground? Mm-hmm. How much room do you have? So like in a pinch point, that would be really important. So if I'm 25 foot up in a pinch point, the deer are going to come past me at 25 yards. I'm not worried about the wind direction at all. Mm. So see, they, my, my scent's going to be over the top of them. Yeah. They're going to be dead before they knew I was there anyways. Yeah. I um, like that. I like that perspective. I feel I feel like it's becoming a trend. I don't know if you've heard this too, but I just feel like, because I talk to a variety of people, people are like, oh, you don't need to be up that high. I like going higher than lower always. Right. Um, like if I'm tree stand hunting or saddle hunting, I, I just like to be at 20 foot or higher. Right. And 20 foot's higher than people think it is. Oh, yeah, it's up there. You know? Yeah. People, I think most people are in that 15 to 17 range, and it's only a couple feet, but right. I feel like that's where most people end up. Right. And to me... The, the higher you can get, the, the less chance you're going to get smelled. Yeah. Um, it, so take into account a uh, high-pressure morning. So we have certain stands on our farm where on a high-pressure morning where there's no wind, and, and no wind could mean zero to three miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So on a high-pressure morning, clear skies, the sun's coming up, all of your thermals are rising. So you at this point, you no longer have to worry about wind. Yeah. And if you're worried about wind, you're just wasting your time because mm-hmm. uh, your scent is actually leaving you and going up. Mm-hmm. Um overcast days you know low pressure days well it's the opposite the sand is leaving you and going down so if you take all that into account to the set that you're going to well you can get away with a lot of different things and i think a lot of times people look well that's a south wind i can't hunt that stand well it's not that simple is it high pressure is it low wind and you might get away with it even on a windy day if it's high pressure your scent will tend to go up instead of down yeah so you could get away with a stand that and i've killed a lot of mature bucks that way so the mature bucks are working the wind. Mm-hmm. I'm working against the wind doing what I'm not supposed to, and they don't know because my thermals are rising instead of lowering. It's a great tip to consider when studying your deer cast yes. predictions. Yes. that's. I feel like that does get ignored and just the hype of uh, wrong wind. Yep. You know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, high-pressure mornings is the best mornings. You know, it's like my favorite. the best. What's crisp out? Mm-hmm. It's just like those are the days. Like, and, you know, when, you know, I think about the the resume of deer I've killed. A lot of them are on high-pressure days like that where it's crisp and cool and sunny, clear sky, yep. and it's just nice out, you know? Yep. like, And that's those, those are the days you dream about. Yep. But, yeah, I feel like knowing, deer, knowing what you're looking for in deer cast can kind of elevate what that – what that program can do for you. Yes. And that's something I'll, so that's in my list of questions for you here mentally. And maybe this is the answer, but this is a good tap into that. Your favorite feature in deer cast and why? Mm. Like why, what, what's, what's the one thing when you're selling deer cast, someone like, dude, this is what I use the most. Well, all right, I'm going to give you a roundabout answer. Okay. That's um, fine. My I'll rant, grill you down on it too a little yeah, bit if can, I need to. I've, I've got the grill down answer too, but my <laughs> roundabout answer is is that it is literally putting yourself inside of Mark Drury's brain. So because I know Mark, I know that that algorithm algorithm excuse me was created by the way that he's hunted deer and the things that he's learned over 
learned about deer over his career. So once I got to know Mark and know how in depth that he is on, on how, I mean, this guy does nothing that isn't calculated. He's a mad scientist, man. Mad scientist. Like people don't understand. I don't think anybody that even meets him understands how in depth that he takes this. So I know when I'm looking at that tool, DeerCast as a whole, that I'm looking at everything that Mark Drury's ever learned about deer hunting. Mm-hmm. So, um, roundabout answer is I love that I get to be in Mark's brain while I'm <laughs> yeah. looking at that, right? <laughs> yeah. My, so my, if you want to grill me down to the, the particular thing that I like about it is how accurate the weather is on it. Mm-hmm. So the pressure, pressure is huge for me. Um, moon phase weather radar that the weather on that app is more accurate than, than, than Noah, in my opinion, dude, I, I don't know if people have realized that, but like the, um, the up to date, it's like powered by the Illuminati. Something. <laughs> I don't know how he's doing. How I don't he's, know. Like he's better than who does Mark know? Right. Like the weather on there is better than, than, than like scientific apps that I've The radar is the shit. And the radar is, it can't be more accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and believe I've been poured on and knew that the minute I was about to get poured on <laughs> right. because of that app. So, yeah. Um, I know I'm being vague on your answer, but the weather would be my favorite, um, tool on there. All the tools on there are useful. I love the, um, the, uh, mapping plot management as far yeah. as mapping goes, but it saves me a lot of money on fertilizer and stuff like that. But, <laughs> right. Um, but it's, yeah, the it's weather a- on there is like, I use it for like when I go fishing at the lake in the summertime when I'm not even hunting, like I'll check the, the weather on DeerCast. Yeah. Instead of the weather the normal weather app like and it's yeah. more accurate yeah so no i mean it's great i mean especially when you look you can break it down and see the fine like pressure you know you can focus on pressure and stuff like yeah. that and wind direction um i love the wind check feature on the mapping for me it helps me mentally visualize like certain areas and what the wind's doing right. when i'm going to whatever stand but um yeah i was just curious on that it's like something i'm going to start asking people more on this series i started doing that with brian and cody like what's your What's your favorite feature and why that type of thing? And there's because there's a ton on there, right. but I feel like you know I haven't done a good enough job of like really showcasing. And I'm I'm doing better. I use it. I love it. And I I feel like there's a lot of people who don't. It takes time for those things to catch on, right? You know what I mean. And, and I yeah. feel like Deercast is designed for white hunters, where there's other mapping tools that are great, yeah. But they're they don't hit the specifics we need for where we need them, right? You know, and that's a perfect example. If you're a whitetail hunter, you're not using it. You're backing up. I mean, I think so. And, and, yeah. and I know there's there's guys out there that are purists that think they don't need an app to tell of, them when to hunt. Well, yeah, yeah. If you're just <laughs> looking, I'm one of those guys. I I'm, I'm not a social media guy. I'm not a app guy. Yeah. Um, but that app is on my phone right now. I could show it to you, and I use it regularly, not just for deer hunting. Um, I use it for fishing. Um. See that I find that very interesting. Right. So some of that some of the fishing um hunting stuff correlates with each other. So um I use it for that, especially the radar. I mean, if I'm on the lake and I'm fishing and I look at the radar on Deercast, it's more mm-hmm. accurate than <laughs> than some of the other fish cast. Right. Well, I don't even know what fish cast is, but I, I don't know if there is one. Yeah. I kept sure saying when we were in Bear Camp the other week, I kept saying, Oh yeah, we're gonna look at bear casts, see how the bears are moving. Right. Right. I don't know. There's a there's a market there. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think Mark is um, the the information that he put on there is actually tried and true. They just tested. Yeah, he used it for years, put it in there for a reason, and it's it's accurate. And I think you have to take it for 
whatever your situation is for wherever you hunt. Um, for sure. And it's not going to work everywhere all the time. Nothing does. Well, so. you know, I, I talk to people about it. It's like you see some of the online reviews and like some of the stuff we posted. It's like, in bottom line, this is like a funny way to word it, but they get what I'm saying when I say it. It's like Mark and Terry don't know every deer that's going to get up and move 100 yards on your farm. This is right. not realistic. It's, it. you can't, it's just bullshit to really hold them to that. Like, you know, okay, it says great. You didn't see any deer. Well, what did you do? You know, Mark Mark can't compensate for your sloppy entry and exit, and you're hunting the completely wrong wind on a low pressure day, right? Well, you or know? or so so this is what I get a lot is uh, uh, some of my family from Alabama be like, well, I went hunting, I didn't see anything, and Deercast said great, and they're hunting eighty acres, and there's nine people hunting eighty <laughs> acres. So I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, you're hunting vampires, man. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, they want to move, but they know you're there, yeah, so they're not going to move, vampires. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's like. Mark and uh, what Mark and Terry have done is is uh, create a great general um, resource for what deer will do under certain conditions. So, like if you have a farm that is hunted by there's extreme hunting pressure on it, well, it's not going to apply to you. Yeah, you know now you now you're well, hunting a different type. Of deer. Well, it could, but what I like about it is it might not apply to you in general, but all the tools you need to understand deer are there yes so there's there's topics about pressure there's topics about everything you need to know about deer there it's been talked about on deer cast right so if you're curious if you're like all right i need to really analyze while my overpressured small piece is not doing what i want it to do right. the information on how to fix it is in the tool it's there Right. And it's up to you to figure it out. Yeah, and it's correct. Um, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to own a 900-acre farm where I can put that app to the test, and it's right way more than it is wrong. Yeah. And, and what I would say to people out there who doubt it, you know, if, if the deer that you're hunting can see your truck and see where you park and see you get out and walk to your stand, well, even though he wants to get up and feed, he's not going to because he knows you're there. Yeah. So don't blame deer cast for that. <laughs> you got to figure something else out. Yes. Yeah, there's a, I feel like a lot of people, ah, man, there's a lot of lazy people out there. Yes. I was trying to be nice about it, but there's no way really around it. There's a lot of lazy assholes out there that are just like, how come the big bucks aren't walking by me? It's like, well, dude, there's a lot of stuff you could be doing. Or, you know, and if a lot of people are just out of options, I got to get to a spot. There's no way to not get there without being seen. Well, right. it's time to get creative. I don't know what else to do. Like, yeah according to the property that you have what the pressure is what yeah. the situation is for the property of the deer herd that you're hunting it's 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 all relevant so for sure all the information that you could plug into an algorithm would be relevant but in mark's case he's given a general if you run a normal farm with normal pressure these deer are going to do this at a regular time and he, he's right more than he's wrong yeah the app is right more than it's wrong yeah and then even then the tools to figure out for your situation are still they're in there you just get you know exactly follow the feed they're in there um all right i got a, i got a question for you this is like my this is in my slew of questions that i think is fun that i'm gonna start asking the jury crew what is your weakest link for yourself as a bow hunter like what what do you consider your your linkest your weakest uh quality like what's something you you wish you could improve more on or need to improve more on hmm Hunting skills wise or personally? Hunting skills wise. We'll go, I mean, we can get into okay. the personal stuff if you want. Well, they probably intertwine. <laughs> oh man, that's 
that's not an it's a tough question man i know but yeah my supreme confidence can i give you my example yes give me something so my my example for myself and this is uh i just want so maybe you know where i maybe understand the question a little more i have a hard time like making my game plan and sticking with my game plan because i i let the what if that deer is going to go this way? I'm going to try and get in there and do a hanging hunt, but I need maybe I need to be over here. Or what if I push 50 yards further? Like my, I'm indecisive when it comes to sticking to, um, you know, how aggressive do I get? Do I back off? Do I go? I, I just, I'm always unsure of the right move. Uh, your example was excellent. So yes, all right. Here's where you put me. Um, overthinking is the biggest my biggest weakness and i think it's the biggest weakness of most bow hunters so we want to make things way more complicated than they are because it's fun mm-hmm. um i it's think fun. that i think that we like to sit around and pretend that the deer is like a genius and that we have <laughs> to be just as genius to fool that deer when actually if you just keep it simple um, um you know hunt pinch points hunt the wind hunt food sources it's not as difficult as we make it way more difficult than it should be yeah and i think you'll hear that across the board from a lot of hunters but well, the last couple episodes keep it simple stupid is what brian and cody were telling me was it and i'm like what well, does that keep it simple stupid or is it keep it simple comma stupid okay so an example <laughs> I, here's an example i have of that so um my biggest buck to date which is a uh typical 10 that scores 182 giant giant uh, just a monstrosity of a deer you know stop you from walking behind you stop and staring. so yeah um typical even like it's big no, typical or not but right. typical is insane knew where this deer lived um this deer actually lived in a 30 acre woodlot and would not leave the woodlot now this is all hindsight talking but so before when i first got pictures of him i thought all right i'm gonna outsmart this deer i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that so mm-hmm. i did all the things that i thought would outsmart a big buck but to no avail so fast forward a month and a half into hunting this deer knowing he's there knowing that i'm getting pictures of him on the edges of this woodlot um get up one morning i tell my son while i'm drinking coffee i'm like i'm just gonna go right up in the middle of his damn house and just pop a tree stand up and see what happens yeah and i killed him immediately no so, shit. Yeah. Didn't even worry about the wind. Didn't even look at the wind. Just went in, um, hit the horns at like, I don't know. I don't know what time it was. Hit the horns. The deer was actually bedded within sight of my stand. He stands up and walks right in front of me like an idiot. So <laughs> I, I had put a month and a half of stress and turmoil and this decision. This Run your, me- your mental self through the ring. Right, like I did this and that deer knew that I did this. So he didn't come here because he knew that. But And all it was was that he's just sitting in there being lazy, mm. um, not very smart. And then once I finally pushed in and got aggressive on him, I killed him immediately. So I overthought that entire process. And then the biggest buck of my life came from just going hunting. Just doing it. Just just go just go hunting and see what happens. Okay, I got a confession. Yeah. So we did the Turkey OG series. Mark and I do that, and he gets Turkey Legends on. And oh, I'm I'm meeting a lot of these guys for the first time. So, but one guy I did know we had uh, Waddell on, and I talked about this on another episode. I, I kind of got my feelings hurt a little bit. Not really. I'm being a little sarcastic when I say that. But right. we were talking about deer. We got into a little deer discussion. How people like to make it all deer are the smartest thing. Kind of what you're alluding to. We get methodical. It's fun. And he's like, they're just goats. You know, a little bit is like how he broke it down. You know, he like simplified it. They're just goats with antlers on their head. I'm like, ah, 
I can't remember what I did another episode I was talking about. I'm like, oh, I kind of hurt my feelings because I've been getting so worked up over goats. That's our ego. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, ah, oh, dude, they're not goats though. But well, are they? Are they just goats? Are we are we just I'm Yes. Just, I, yeah, another example. Quick example. <laughs> I had a twelve a typical twelve point beautiful deer that hung out on my farm all of October. Yeah. And he disappeared. Uh, right up, leading up right up to November, and I hunted him for two weeks in November. Never seen him. Mm-hmm. Didn't know where he went. It was already in my head that neighbors had killed him. Yeah, um, doing all the tricky stuff that I'd read in Field and Stream and Outdoor Life my entire childhood, and then <laughs> tricky stuff. Yeah. So then get frustrated. Like hell with it. I'm gonna just go some hunt somewhere new. I yeah. Had a, uh, permission piece I can hunt like three miles away. So I just go there. Just you know, just want to go see some different scenery and just do something different. Yeah. That deer walks under my stand within 15 minutes of me being in the stand and I didn't do anything. Didn't call to him. Didn't do anything. He was three miles away from my farm and just walked under my stand randomly and I killed him and he's on my wall right now. And I look at that deer <laughs> every day and I'm go, yeah, just keep it simple. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just go hunting, man. Just go enjoy the day. Go hunt. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't stress about your entry exit so much. See, I love that too because like the more we're touching both sides of this a little bit because I feel like I haven't hunted. I mean, maybe I have, and I'm just not recalling it. But like in the moment, right now, the last three, four years of hunting, I've been so strategic and anal about everything that it's. And I like it. I do enjoy that. Like I enjoy the. I enjoy that part of it. It's fun to me. Yep. But at a point, it's like I'm. I spend more time him hawing and getting second opinions and studying maps and do and but I enjoy that part. I love that recipe to whitetails. But at what point am I just like, yeah, the spot that you're him hawing that you're like, I'm waiting till November fifteenth for I go in and do a hanging hunt on this wind and a high pressure morning and right. when I should just like, do I just go in there and hunt and see what happens? Yeah. Sometimes that's the fun in it. Yeah, and so... Trail cameras are to blame to all this, by the way, I think. Oh, I agree. I agree. So <laughs> this is something probably your Midwest listeners are, are going to be shocked to hear. But So when I grew up in Alabama, the the way that we killed mature bucks in Alabama was is that we would walk cutovers. So a cutover in Alabama is they come in and they, they cut every tree down to the dirt. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing but dirt. So you'll have like, say, 200 acres. It's just literally dirt once they're done. So what happens in the next three years is that um, all kinds of undergrowth pops up, uh, saw briars in particular, and the deer flock to it. They love it. It's like a their version of a cornfield in the south. Mm. And uh, saw briars are, are really high in protein. So as soon as we'd have a clear cut, our antler growth would go through the roof. So mm. my uncle, my uncle Don, um, taught me this when I was 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. So we would go in and we would just like strategically say, all right, you walk up this side of the draw, I'll walk up this side of the draw. If the deer jumps up, we shoot them running. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's how I grew up hunting. So I didn't even, I thought it was ridiculous that guys on TV were shooting deer standing still because yeah. we always shot them running. Yeah. So what we learned about mature bucks is, is that a lot of times we would jump mature bucks in a, say, a particular cutover in a particular draw. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times we jumped him or how many times we spooked him, he would always come back and bed in that draw, no matter how much pressure we put on him. Mm-hmm. So the thing that it taught me is is that 
and, and you'll hear the opposite on, on TV, is that if you pressure a big buck, he's going to move off the property. Yeah. I don't believe that. Um, I, I do believe that maybe some personalities of deer will do that. Right. But what we learned in Alabama, and in particular deer, and I could show you pictures of the deer, that we would jump them seven, eight, ten times before we got them killed out of the exact same spot, out of the exact same Like bed. day to day. day well, so say if you jumped him on Monday. It might be Wednesday before he's back, but he's coming back. He's not going to leave. Yeah. Um, and when I say jump him out of the same spot, I'm like literally the same bed. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, like, you would go down and, like, say a buck jumps up. And when I say jump, I mean literally jump. They would jump up running. Yeah. And we would kill them. And then we would go down there and look at where their bed was, and their bed would be the size of, you know, a cattle trailer. Yeah. Maybe not Maybe not quite that big. Um, but a big area that he just bedded there every day. Mm-hmm. Now, southern deer are definitely different than midwestern deer, mm-hmm. but I've also found that to be the case here in the Midwest too, with like bucks that are on our farm. Yeah. So we, like, to get to your point, like just go hunting. Yeah. Like sometimes, yeah, you might have a particular buck that you push out of the area, but most bucks are going to come back home no matter what you do. Um, yeah. Um, I don't care how many times you spook them. I, my cameras have showed me that they'll be back when my when all my redneck family comes up from alabama and they spook all the deer on my farm <laughs> every all, deer <laughs> all the deer still come back yeah so, you know i got uncle don and my cousin joe and everybody running around yeah. uh spooking everything but they all come back see i love that thought i love it but i'm not gonna lie if it kind of kicks me in the nuts a little bit <laughs> i gotta be transparent with you because and and in a good way right like I like that it kicks me in the nuts is because it kind of ruins my argument of like, dude, you can't bump a deer more than twice. He's, he's out. Right. You know, like that's the methodical, they're not goats, they're genius goats or whatever. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm getting, it's fun, but man, it also makes me feel a little good. It's like, man, if you do bump that deer on an aggressive move, he's coming back. Right. And I don't, I don't think we push deer out more than other deer push deer out. So if well, how, how often does a coyote push a deer out? How, what is the difference? Almost never. You think never? I think never. I think a mature <sighs> buck, a coyote, does not factor into his day. Okay, at all. yeah, maybe not. Yeah, um, a doe with a yearling, she's worried about that coyote. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, a buck. Um, and now there are exceptions to every rule. I've seen for sure. I've seen video of uh, coyotes taking down mature bucks. I think that's rare. Yeah, I, I, I would say too. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, you'd find them all over the place if that was the case. Right, but take the twelve point that I talked about earlier in the video. Uh, excuse me, uh, podcast. Um, that twelve point. He was also living in October with two other bucks. Um, one was a giant eight point that was really aggressive. They're always, eight points are always aggressive. What's I know it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah, weird. They're always the problem maker. Yeah. So, um, my opinion is that eight point pushed him out of that area. He said, "All right, mm. the rut's coming." You got to go. Go find your own area. This is going to be my area. We'll be buddies again after the rut is yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Right? See you so, in December. Yeah. So I think that 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 you're not going to push a buck out of an area. Now, say you go push him every day, every single day. Yeah, sure, he's probably going to move out of the area. Yeah. Right? At least until he thinks you're gone. But as far as bumping them while you're hunting them, especially the closer it gets to the rut, you're the least of their worries. Uh, they got bigger worries with uh, Joe Blow Nine Point that's – pushing in yeah. the territory that they're not sense. concerned with you they're more concerned with other deer than they are concerned with your hunting pressure yeah now i'm just talking specifically second week of october all the way to second week of november yeah and you can sure. push it on even to thanksgiving if you wanted to mm-hmm. so. i uh it brings comforting thoughts 
to me. <laughs> Honestly, like there's some big deer I'm going to try and hunt. And dude, I'm just thinking back like I tiptoed, man. Like I did. I tiptoed a lot right. over, over this buck that maybe I shouldn't have tiptoed as much. Right. Like I love this perspective that you have because I feel like, and no offense, I love, I do love it, but I feel like your perspective would cause some arguments to some other guests we've had. Oh, it's going to piss some people off. But I sure. love that though. Like this yeah. is great. Like it, you know how boring podcasts would be if everybody had the same perspective. Well, <laughs> so I, because of the way I grew up hunting in Alabama is how I have the different perspective. Well, so, you've seen a, you've seen other whitetails in other areas. I've seen extremely pressured whitetails. Yeah. And when I say extremely, like 400 acres and there's 20 people hunting that 400 acres, I've seen extremely pressured whitetails still come back to that same bed every day. Yeah. That says a lot. Even though they're getting, so look, so I'm not even just walking cutovers. We used to run deer with dogs down there. And that's the only way, when I first started deer hunting, that's what we did is run deer with dogs. So I never even knew it was a concept that you shoot a deer standing still until I was like 15 years old. It, all I knew was shooting deer running. It's a different world. They're running from dogs or they're running from you because you jumped them up. So I, they, I got something I want to ask you. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you short. So uh, it got to the point. This episode, as as we're recording, actually, you know what? This episode will launch before that episode. And you might, and I'm worried you're going to make me eat my own words a little bit. But I'm transparent. I'll, I'll own it. So we had a guy on. Um, I won't give too much away because he's a good dude. But he's big on TikTok. And he... Uh, He's gotten some arguments on TikTok, and, and I've I've talked about this in the past, but there's a lot of hounds guys who like run hounds for coons, right. and they think that dogs don't spook deer out of their bed. I say there's no way a dog doesn't spook a deer out of his bed. Like a dog's or a, a deer is going to get up if a dog runs by it. Dogs absolutely spook deer out of their bed. Okay. Thank and, you for not making me seem like an ass. I was beating my head off the microphone. Like, how is this even a legitimate argument? Okay. So, like, you think a, a dog does not spook a deer at all? Like, uh, no, dogs definitely spook deer out of their beds, especially in the daytime. But I will say I have seen with my own eyes from coon hunting that deer show less respect to dogs after dark. So, okay. I've, that might be part of the argument, too. You know? Right. So, I've been on coon hunts with coon hunters on, 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 on the backs of mules. Um, where I've literally seen dogs treed on a coon and there's deer standing 40 feet away and soybeans eating and paying the dog no attention. Really? I've seen that with my own eyes with spotlights. Right? Mm-hmm. But then on the, the flip side of that is that I have seen coon dogs destroy an entire area with running coons during the you know late evening daylight, daylight time. So deer definitely react differently in the daytime than they do at nighttime. Probably it's a comfort thing, I'm sure, for them. But yeah. And I think, you know, deer are smart like like I've read, and I don't have nothing to back this up on, but that deer are as smart as labs. So if you can imagine that a deer can understand the difference in when it is being pursued and when it is not being pursued, which I totally believe that. I totally believe that deer can understand the difference. Um, hmm. I, I never think, heard that. that well, theory. I think that if, you know, so like take a farm that I manage right now. I bush hog, um, you know, uh, 21 miles of trails and during the summertime when i'm bush hogging those trails the deer pay me very little attention i mean literally like moving their leg out of the way as the bush hog comes <laughs> yeah yeah like I, yeah. I don't exist to like it. oh you're cutting trails What's right that? yeah go to those same trails in november and they see the tractor from 200 yards away and run like they've been shot at mm-hmm. so i think deer are uh, at least intelligent enough to understand i don't i don't think they know when deer season comes in but i do think that 
they can understand the difference in just like just like my lab I always go back to a lab like when I get out of the truck after I get off work my lab can un- can understand the way I step out of my truck whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood yeah and yeah. my lab will come up to me and be happy or if I'm in a bad mood my dog just goes around the other side of the house yeah, yeah. and I haven't said a word to the lab so <laughs> yeah okay right so that may be a little out there for some listeners, but if you're around animals a lot, horses, which we have horses. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it is. Right. There's an energy, and, and I believe that deer can tap into that energy. And anybody who's been sitting in a tree stand and have a buck, stop and look up at them for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Wind is perfect. You didn't make any noise. <sighs> so if anybody wants to argue with that, I would say, well, you ain't been in a deer stand long enough to see a deer just stop and look up at you and wonder how in the world that deer knew you were there. So this is the pro tip from the episode. Just be a happy hunter. When you're hunting, be happy. Positivity. Good energy. Everything. <laughs> right. Good energy. Smile while you're hunting. Be happy and things will go good for you. Dude, you know, I, I've had deer do that. Like I, I have a buck. I end up finding them dead. I hunt a giant. Would have been still to this day my biggest buck. I, dude, His. so I'll just tell the story real quick because it's a perfect story of an example of what you just said this buck's coming in i set this saddle setup for this deer i see does step out i'm like come on big boy's gotta be in here there he is he pops out right behind him 30 yards does work through i'm lifting my bow getting ready to draw he stops and he's like something's up yep he he's in a cut cornfield cuts out a hundred yards loops out and then comes back to meet his does yep and he never saw me why did his does walk right through where I could have shot? I got a shot every one of them. What did he sense where he's like, I don't know about this. I, it was the craziest thing. The the deer, I was just like deemed him like, I'm just never going to kill him. Well, and detractors would say, well, there's no way he can know you were there. But then the same people will say, well, he's feeding because he feels the moon at a certain phase. So it's like, you know, wh- what are you getting into? Magnetism? Who, who knows? Right. Witchcraft. But- Right, but those of us who've hunted long enough know that it is a thing. Dude, and it is for sure. I think he could feel like my heart rate. <laughs> I agree. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was like, th- dude, I had my release on the loop, and I'm like this, and he's walking. He turned, put his head down to walk, and I'm like, here it is. Yep. I'm gonna draw, do the thing, stop it. No. So it's fun watching my son go through this. So my son will do everything perfect, and then mm-hmm. something will go wrong, and he'll look at me in the tree and be like, what just happened? Yeah. And I'm like, the universe. The universe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what it's meant to be. Yeah, that's the way it is. Sometimes goats can sense your energy. I, I mean, there's got to be something to it. I, I don't want to sound like a, you know, we just saw a UFO outside your studio. but Could have. It's 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 a thing, man. It's um, I don't care. That's why I hurt my feelings it. when we call them goats. I got upset. Isn't that fun? Do you think that's funny? Like, well, I I feel well, the same way about turkeys. Like I hear people say, "Turkey outsmarted me." I'm like, "No, you outsmarted yourself." I feel like turkeys are so dumb they're unpredictable. Yes, and they just do their thing. That's right. That's why I say you outsmarted yourself. Yeah, like you made it harder than it should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. that's also like the mental game of hunting is what makes it so awesome. Right. You know, because I feel like. It would be way less fun. I don't know. I love the I just love the strategy of it. Right. I love the conversation behind it. Yes. I love the everything that encompasses the whitetail. Like I love whitetails. Right. But I love like this. Yep. That builds up to the whitetail. Right. Like to me, like I mean, imagine imagine the friends you've made over whitetails. Like what other animal is responsible for that? 
Exactly. Well, know? just the kindred spirit of all hunters mm-hmm. um, and understanding that thing that you can't explain to non-hunters. Right. Um, you know, and it, and if, if I would tell people anything is don't try to understand the animal and understand the environment that the animal lives in. Mm. So once you understand the environment, which, which I think Mark is great at, yeah. you just understand the environment and the, the markers that dictate how the animal moves and reacts yep well now you're outsmarting the animal but you're not actually outsmarting the animal you're just understanding how he operates in his natural environment yep and those are the guys who are you know successful all the time versus the guys who just get lucky every now and then for sure and what's also beautiful man is like you said you can just sometimes you can just go out there and smack a giant and it just happens there are times where i go hunting hoping i don't see my target deer because i just want to go out there and be part of it um i don't want to I don't want it. I don't want to mar it up with killing the animal. I know that's Ooh, sound, no. I get that. Yeah. So that probably sound crazy to most people who are just you know um, achievement driven. But I think it sounds crazy to people who've never killed deer, right? Or the deer they want to kill, right? You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. they might not get that. If you kill a pile of deer, right, and you get to a point to where you realize that you're not participating, or or, or you're not, um, you don't want to be that. Well, be careful what I say here. You, you're, you're not in it for how it impresses other people, right? So you just want to go sure. be part of it and thankful that you're part of it. You're hunting because you'd go hunting anyway. Right. You're sitting out there participating in something that, oh, well, I'm trying not to sound like a UFO guy, but you're going out there and participating in something that, <laughs> get, to get, me. Get weird. Let's do this. To me, it's spiritual, right? Yeah, so, well, dude, I'm with you. Right. So killing the animal is not the spiritual part participating in the environment and uh, uh, the environment that the animal operates in all that is very spiritual to me mm-hmm. and the it, the kill part is important as well um we definitely want to do that part but i'll get weird you want me to get weird with you a little yeah, bit i'd love it man let's get freaky i feel <laughs> i feel like a lot of the animal being in front of you is that's like the crazy spiritual part like like i feel like there's connection of like how it got there like what yeah you you put you put things together to get it there, but the way it got up and got in front of you, like there's something behind that a little yeah. bit. Where does it take you to? Yeah. What are you tapping into that makes you so excited? And what like makes it come together to where like it works out perfectly? Like you draw, you anchor, you're in the zone. Sometimes you don't have to think about it. Sometimes you get nervous, sometimes you don't at all. Right. And the arrow just goes right where it needs to go. And then after it was all done, you're like, Oh, I didn't even think about any of the process. Yeah, and I'll give you another perspective that, that in my older age, so I'm 45 years old. So when you take an animal, you know, most people view it as the animal is losing. And it, like I have this weird perspective where I feel like I'm losing because mm. the 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 experience is over. Um, yeah, the animal lost its life, but according to how spiritual you are and on, on which direction you take that, but sometimes I feel as if once the animal is taken that I have lost and not the animal. Now, Ooh. I know that's... That's deep. So people going to roll their eyes right now, but that's where I'm at in my evolution as a hunter. So there are times, and this happened this past season, where I had target bucks in front of me and did not shoot them. Really? Yeah. Just wanted to soak it in, watch him walk off in his normal environment, soak in the moment, and have my son look at me like I'm crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Dad? Well, okay, we've got all these cameras <laughs> charged. and we're Now, that's only happened with him once, but... Um, there's other times where I'll like going, like say a scouting, you know, quotation mark scouting hunt, which mm-hmm. I take my bow with me. So observation. Yeah. Says, yeah but you got your, call it. Right. But you got your bow with you. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and have it come in and watch it all unfold. 
and then defold or, you know, mm-hmm. the opposite and get a little bit as get just as much enjoyment out of that as, you know, yeah. the killing part. Now, that was not the case when I was younger. That's something that's just started happening. I'll tell you, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm not encouraging it. But I'm not judging you for it. Like, I find it very intriguing. Like, uh, I'll unapologetically say this, and it's not a, probably not a glamorous thing to admit, maybe. Maybe it's honesty, but I like to kill stuff. Like, I I like to shit. I like the process of watching fletching disappear inside an animal. Yes. Like, that is fun to me. Now... Am I talking about like the harshness of killing to just kill? I don't mean it that way. Right. I, the process to me is beautiful. Yes. And I mean a well-placed shot where it needs to be and as efficient as it can be. That's what I love. Right. And Does that make sense? Kind yeah. Of? And to stop the eye rolls out in the podcast verse, um, I am lucky to have that opportunity where I can let an animal go and yeah. I'll kill his ass later. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that probably factors into why I let him walk. Like, okay, yeah. I'll wait till Mason's with me and we can get it on film. So yeah. to anybody out there who's saying, oh, geez, oh this asshole, you know, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Well, the animal's going to die. You know? Well, something I do, I think we should talk about it just a little. We don't got to get crazy into detail, but like, you know, you talked about the, the ground you own and like you just said, you know, I have the opportunity to maybe pass a deer and see him again. Like, right. you're a self made guy. Right. Like, this isn't something that you just fell into. And just all of a sudden had ground and had ground that was set up for deer hunting. Like, you're a hardworking dude. This is a point I was hoping you would touch on. So uh, the thing that I see with people online the most is that they look at somebody who's um, on a TV show and taking a deer on ground and they, they immediately go to, um, well, if I had ground like that, whatever. Well, I want to tell everybody out there right now, I, I stood in welfare lines with my mama when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I came from nothing. literally trailer parks in Alabama. Mm -hmm. There's pictures of me in a baby pen in uh, the infield of Talladega. If that gives anybody any idea of what kind of white trash I'm talking about. So the the thing that I want everybody out there to understand is that anybody listening to this could eventually get their own property, Mm -hmm. hunt their own deer, become whatever they want to become. And I... It's a little disappointing to see the hate that comes towards guys who have made it because everybody's dream is to make it. For sure. And by no means have I made it. right? But I just would like to see people understand that, you know, most of the people you see online or on TV shows, they got there because they loved it. So it was something that was that they deeply feel passionate about and they just found a way. Yeah. Mark Drew would be a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm a great example of that. And a lot of the hunters that you have in here are great examples. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, it's not always that somebody just had money and they got some land left to them. That is the case sometimes. Sometimes. And yeah. I, I don't think you should hate those people either. They can't I, help that. They can't help that. Would they, you turn it down no, if you were in that situation? Nobody would. No one would. Right. So, um, you know, I just want people to understand, like, if you're listening, you're a young kid, or even if you're, you know, young man, whatever, find a way. If you love it, it will love you back. If you, if yep. you, if you, if it's all you care about and you're passionate about it, just keep taking opportunities and doors as they open little, little tidbits here. And it'll eventually turn into something that you can grab a hold of and be mm-hmm. proud of. So you know, it worries me that I see that online a lot where guys are, 
you know, they just want to hate the guys who have the haves versus the have nots. Right. For sure. It's dude. I kind of went through it too. Like our, our, uh, you know, work working class bow hunter, man. I remember when I, we started uh, working class on deer casts and, um, after a few months, you know, I quit my day job at John Deere and dude, everyone's like, well, you're not working class anymore. Right. And I'm like, well, what does that really mean? Right. You know, like just cause I, I worked hard and achieved my goals. That means I'm not working. Like I don't, you think I don't work hard still. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it, that term, like I almost like, I love the term because it, it um, you know, it embodies work ethic and what you want to do. But I feel like it almost gets slumped on, uh, like Mark said, it. it's like people like, okay, to be working class, you have to be miserable in your career and what you do. You know what I mean? It's like, right. well, that's not true either. Because I know a lot of guys that work their asses off to do what they love to do. And they work more hours than guys anywhere else that are p- playing the must be nice card, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, what I put my wife through to accomplish this goal, you know, I will forever be indebted to her for it. And if you're listening, babe, I love you. Um, Shout out to the badass wives out there because you know our saying you can't kill big bucks if your wife sucks. But it goes true. Like no matter what your passion is, if you want to be a pro golfer, your yeah. wife's not going to support you in that. You're never going to be a pro golfer. Yeah, an example of that is the, the the first part of our farm that we bought was 160 acres back when we didn't have money for it. Oop. And she, my wife, heard no from about 25 banks before she finally heard one yes. Yeah, and the interest rate was ridiculous. And we did it anyways, mm-hmm. not because we cared about the money, it was because we loved it and we wanted to live an outdoor lifestyle and raise our family in an outdoor lifestyle. And we found a way. Yeah. You know? So, and, you know, I would caution people who are watching these guys who are shooting these giant deer on on um, the internet that you know it, it it might not be it might not have went down the way you thought. They might have done it the exact way you would do it. You know. And yeah. I would I would tell anybody out there if I can do it, you know, from trailer parks in Alabama. I mean, I. We used to get our shoes from a thrift store before school every year, mm-hmm. like poorer than poor. Yeah. And here I am, and I own a 900-acre farm in North Missouri, and people think I'm something special, and I think I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, So I would tell people that anybody can do it. If I can do it, you can get that farm. You can be shooting these giant deer. You can share it with people or not. But don't hate people because they're sharing it with you. Right. I would like to see less hate online. I would like to see people understand that – it's not as obvious as you think it is. You yeah. Know, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, respect the people who are doing it and understand that, you know, like you take Mark's story. I know Mark personally, so mm-hmm. I know his story. Yeah. And if you know his personal story, then you know that it wasn't just handed to him. He worked his ass off, you know. Yeah, there was no, I mean, you, that story goes deep, but there's no jury outdoors before Mark and Terry. No. It's like those guys built that from the ground up, but even then, like, there's more to that, you uh, know. I, Mark might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he started out as selling clothing for Toxie Hayes and Mossy Oak. Yeah, we talked. We had uh, Toxie on the podcast, and Mark gets into that on one of the Turkey OG right. series episodes. But it's like you just got to hustle, man. Whatever you're into, you hustle. And if you're not into what you're hustling on, like work on something to make you hustle on what you want to hustle on. If yeah, that makes it. sense. Go get it. Nobody's stopping you. But I'll tell you, man. Like I do this for a living. I'm very fortunate, and I and I think about it every day, and I. I live in constant anxiety because I want to keep doing what I'm passionate about. Right. You know, and and I always had the mindset of like, uh, you know, I'm 32. I've worked, you know, in my twenties, I worked jobs. I hated, I worked jobs that I thought were all right. And, uh, my last job I thought was okay, but I didn't want to do it forever. Didn't care about it. I wasn't passionate about it, But, but I knew I had to do it. And I worked on this after that 
and worked probably more hours than I did in my day job during yep. that week to get it to where it is. But um, I always just can't, I always had the mindset of I'm never going to let a job tell me not to go hunting. Right. And uh, I just kind of tried to keep that energy. But I live in a ball of anxiety of trying to keep this energy and keep up this momentum. It's this weird thing, but I feel like I need it. Right. Like if that anxiety goes away, would I be, I don't know if I'd be happier because maybe everything falls apart if I lose my anxiety. Listen to this phrase. Pressure is fuel for achievement. So okay, perfect. That, that pressure you feel, that's normal. I mean, like I, me and my wife feel it all the time to leave something to our kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people out there feel that pressure, that anxiety, and it, it stops them from going for what they're after. Man, go for it. Mm. Pedal on the right, man. I you like know, that. Get after it. Pedal you on can, the right. Yeah, you can – you're capable of way more than you think you are. And I'm not trying to get too, too. Uh, no, I love this type of conversation. Right. But, you know, I just see online the things that I see. And especially after I met Mark, um, it's in fact, Mark had to get on to me one time because I was on YouTube defending him. <laughs> I was like, he's like, no, you can't say that. And I'm like, okay, I'll stop. You know, so you're in there trying to fight people in the comments. <laughs> right. I'm like, what's your address? <laughs> I'm going to come to your house. And Mark's like, okay, sponsors are pissed. But anyways, um, hey, I've, I've, I've come to know that and, and meeting guys like you, mm-hmm. right? So your passion got you here, right? Mm-hmm. Mark's passion got him where he is. My passion got me where I'm at. And I don't, yeah. I don't feel like I'm anywhere special. And I just, I just followed what I love. And yeah. You're following what you love. Right. Mark's following what he loves. And I would tell anybody out there, if you love it, it will love you back. Like, yeah. And, and that's as far as you need to take the thought. So if you want it, go get it. Nothing's stopping you. Nobody's stopping you. Don't let the internet sway you on how you should go about hurt feelings on the internet man oh man emotions dude i started reading comments man funny side story when (laughs) when mark killed that giant would have been the night we met right or the night after whatever we did that well that day we did the podcast that day and we're podcasting with this big buck in the back of his like tracker side by side mark's on one side of the bed i'm on the other side of the bed it's my show i'm hosting it (laughs) i'm interviewing mark and it, they got posted to the Direct Doors YouTube, and there's a shit ton of views on it. I'm reading the comments. Someone's like, I wish that dude would shut up and let Mark talk. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm the host. <laughs> it just, I read like five comments. I'm like, I'm done. I can't read this. It just hurt my feelings. But internet's dangerous. Do what you're passionate about and hustle at it. Uh, and don't always read the comments. Right. And then when you go back, you know, you started this, this segment with talking about kids and all and i think yeah. if you know mark and you know mark for any time at all you understand what a, a a ginormous effect his mom and dad had on him yeah you know and very rarely will mark tell you a story that doesn't involve his mom or his dad so it's like right back to where we started this you know where we were talking about it's like i think they stoked the passion for him or encouraged the passion um you know the love of it you yeah know. do you know what's a a very inspiring thing to see when you meet mark and tracy dude how like in love they are oh yeah you, you know what i'm saying like i like i talk to my wife about it all the time i'm like you're around them they just like, love each other yeah so me and my wife date them that's what we say all the time dude that's <laughs> a good way <laughs> so, you, you need them in your yeah. life a little bit right like i got we're due for a dinner with them right so me and my wife will you know we'll do a dinner date with them every now and then and like we don't get a whole lot of adult time because we're you know we're professional parents that's what i tell everybody <laughs> yeah yeah um so then when we do have any spare time, it's usually with Mark and Tracy. Yeah. And um, I so love like, her, man. 
So she's the best. Right. So it's funny saying where Mark's always like, you know, once turkey season goes out, it's Tracy season. Or once deer <laughs> season funny. goes out, it's Tracy season. So then, yeah. you know, I'll text him up and I'll be like, hey, man, y'all ready to start dating again or what? Because it'll be deer season's over or turkey season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we get our adult time and um, dinners and stuff like that in. And it's it's a really good time with them, too. And I I, I don't think Mark gets enough credit for and it. And listen, anybody's listening out there, Mark does not pay me. I do not work for Mark. Like, I'm not an employee of Drury Outdoors. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically you could say because I do loopholes, dream season life for him. But Mark is as genuine a person as I've ever met. And, you know, and I feel like I'm very cultured, very well versed in, you know, people and and how genuine people are and he is one of the most genuine people i've ever met Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm friends with him yeah not because he kills big deer not because you know it's like i feel like me and you are fixing to start a friendship not because you got a podcast like i've connected with you for sure and i feel like you're a genuine human being and you likewise brother we got this in common right it's the same way with mark and i don't think mark gets enough credit for that and i think people see him on the surface as just some guy who's a ton of land in Iowa and he kills giants because yeah. he has land. No, he kills giants because he loves it and he's freaking good at it. Dude, he's tore up with it. Right. Still. I, did, I did not think he was like he was. When I first met him, I thought yeah, just another TV, you know, guy, whatever. Yeah. And then It's easy to think that. It's easy it was, to think that. And then within, literally within two or three days of knowing him, I'm like holy crap, this guy's a genius. Dude. You know, he's, he's eat up with it. Eat up with it. I, and I tell anybody the same thing. It's like, that's uh, we were talking before. It's like when people who don't know me ask me questions, Mark Jury gets, he's one of them like top three questions. Right. How's Mark? Right. And I'm like, I, I tell people this and, and people believe it, you know, once I tell them, but, but it's almost Mark's Mark. You know, he's like this big persona. I grew up watching Mark, my childhood hero. Right. You know, like he's a goat. You know him with and Wadi and and you know you know you name the the core group of guys that guys like me I grew up watching them dudes you right. know Mark's my childhood hero and to have him he dude, he's the coolest dude in the game yep and I'll tell people that's like really like he seems like he'd be cool but is he I'm like dude I'm telling you the way I am my neck is tattooed bro yeah. you think like if Mark wasn't cool you think you'd be judging me over that you know what I'm saying yeah. like it's Mark's the coolest dude in the game. He's a gangster. He's a gangster. He's a dear gangster. And and I think I, I, t- I say that with confidence, man. Like I'm proud to work for Mark. Yeah. And you know, I might say, and I'm like, I'm not getting paid to say this. Mark is a badass dude. He's the realest dude in the game. Well, I would argue that he's, he's, I ain't gonna say single handedly saving the industry, but what he's done for the industry, like if you if you knew the industry, so I'm 45, and and what I've seen it go through in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was slowly dying. Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't care what anybody says. He is one of the uh, the the major reasons that it's thri- in my opinion thriving again. Like his influence on the industry has helped save the industry. And I know there's other guys out there that do it too. Waddy's one of them. Yeah. Uh, you could argue Primos is. You know, oh, for other, sure. Other, yeah. All those sure. guys are, you know, helping. But like I have text Mark before and told him, you know, look, man, I just want to thank you because something I love and that, that I think is dear to this country, you're, you're, you're propagating, you know, for you're sure. Fertilizing. Yeah. Um, and well, I don't think people talk enough about it. I mean, I know he's at the top of the game and, and people are going to say, oh, I'm a fanboy of Mark Drury. No, I'm a fanboy of anybody that's passionate about stuff like to, to the core Likewise. like he is. Well, he's also like seen opportunity in areas where, even though it's not Drury-ish style, yep. like he's still like acknowledge it. Like, I mean, us, 
shit, we're the perfect example, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, like and what's interesting is like the age gap between you're not too much older than me, but um from me to you to Mark is like an interesting age gap where we've all kind of seen different angles of what yep. the industry we grew up in a little bit. You know, you're a little older than me. I think Mark's a little older than He's you. About ten years older than yeah, me. Yeah, about ten so we're I'm about ten years older. Yeah, than we're you. about yep. the same. And then uh you know, we're tapping into some kids that are in the early twenties we've just had on last two weeks ago. Yep. And it's interesting talking to those guys. So it's like it's generate I don't know. I don't know if you consider that generate but it's ten years is there's a lot of perspective that can change in ten years. There's a lot that can change in five, really. Um so it's interesting talking to you. Right. And then talking to Mark. It's like, but how powerful can that be? And you know, if we get some guys in their twenties, us in our thirties, you in your forties, Mark early fifties maybe yep. like what uh what can what can be accomplished there if we all sat down and talked for a while oh well, I mean, you're bridging major gaps you know yeah, yeah like uh, and mark is great at that's another thing that he's great at like he can sit down and talk to a 20 year old and a 60 year old and both of them walk away from it being like yeah that's it I, I see that you know i got an idea i'm gonna say it now that if somebody copies it then we'll go after him legally right we do a podcast roundtable series we have a 20, 30, 40, 50 generation gap, and we go around debate hunting anything. Oh, that is a great idea. How fun. I really want to see a 20-year-old's perspective. How fun would that I'm, be? I'm curious as— I got some guys in their 20s, man, that are smart. I, I'm curious as to what the difference— because you take like a Chris B type. You know? Yeah. Um, that, He's probably just a little younger than I am. Right. And, but, but we need to get a dude like your son's age, like your son in here at right. 16. So, so reason I'm saying Chris B is because my son, is he follows him like crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the 20-year-old the perspective is, I think, is the the thing I'm the most curious about. What does is, what is our future look like? You know, and those 20-year-olds, are that's the future. No. Us 30 and 40 and 50, we're already dead. Like, we're already done. You know <laughs> Damn, what I mean? Dude. I'm sorry to tell you that. I just, br- I just jump over the gap of death. <laughs> <laughs> the marketing guys do not care about us, all right? Okay. They, they want, a, they want hey, them 20 years. Dude, I got to start getting gray now to fit into this category you lump me in this episode. I'm like, dude, I'm a young whippersnapper. You're like, no, you're mature. You're old. It's over for you. I'm yep. like, son we, of a bitch. Dad bod. You know, dude, it's all, it's yeah, over, man. Neck, you're still getting neck tattoos. You're 30. Shut her down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big jowls. Jowls. Your head's your head. huge, Kurt. <laughs> a huge head. <laughs> Your big dumb head. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, man. I would love to hear a twenty-year-old's perspective. We'll call it the the working class on Deercast generational perspectives. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, I think it's fun if you really love what we do. You got to be worried about the future. And I know Mark's worried about it. I've heard him talk about it. I'm worried about it because I have a son at sixteen. So how about we do them quarterly, four episodes a year? We do we do the generational check in. Yeah, see where we're at. The Deer Cast generational check in. Bring your son. Yep. You, me. I get. I got a guy in his twenties that come in. Twenty two. I think they are. Yep. Gage from Team Vital. Get him in here. Get yep. Mark. We get somebody sixties and seventies in. That'd be fun. Well, like with Mason, my son, um, he'll tell me to do things sometimes, and I'm like, no, nah, that's dumb. And then I see it on camera, and I'm like, oh, that was genius. Mm. So it's There's a lot of older guys in there probably, you know, well, us older guys. So, so they were born in, you know, social media world. Yeah. And then I, you were on the edge of it, right? Uh, yeah. Like I, we had MySpace. Right. I didn't have cell phones when I was in high school. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, this is, I didn't have MySpace ex- or uh, MySpace, Facebook or 
Instagram accessible phones in high school. Right. I had a AOL dial up and I, you know, I still hear that dial tone. I they had to go home and I'm not even sure people know what I'm talking about, but, um, yeah. So he, he understands things that I don't understand because of the world that he was born in versus what I was born in. And for sure, something, it, everything has changed so fast in like 20 years that there's a bigger gap between 40 year olds and 20 year olds now than there are. 60 year olds and 40 year olds it's crazy yeah it's it's ridiculous i'm telling you my generation and this is our this is this can be argued we were the last like uh, i don't even know what to call it we were the last uh you know what i'm saying here i'm trying to like the gap like we're the last ones that could like push kids down getting fist fights what would the gap be called? There's got to be a term for it, right? The last of the patriots. <laughs> last of the patriots. <laughs> the last of the true Republicans <laughs> who are born yeah. and raised and made it through high school. As well. yeah. No, that's not the term. There's got to be a term. Maybe there's not one. But uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's a different world quickly. Um, quickly. The last 10 it's years. fruit loopy. The last 10 years, anybody from you know, Mark's age to your age, so from you know, 50s to 30s, we don't understand that. 30 and down. Yeah, you what know? do we call that? I don't know. You're going to have to come up with it's that. It's a divide. That's your job. Yeah. The great divide. Right. Kind of and, what it is. And look at what the disconnect it's is. your between, job, you said. <laughs> yeah. Look at the disconnect between nature and the world they're living in. So that's the part that concerns me. Like it's I, concerning. If, if I need peace and relaxation, I go out on my farm and go down by the creek and do whatever. My son, if he needs peace and relaxation, he gets on his phone and goes and looks for it there. Or maybe he looks for it in a video game or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, because mine is getting on my tractor and going mow a little bit. Yeah, the home of a diesel engine, and, you know. But I don't, I don't know, man. We're in weird times. I have faith that's going to steer back. My boy gives me faith, um, and that's the only world I can look into because it's my immediate world. So it, I see him. Yeah, oh, that's I, good right there. Like I mean, if you watch his videos and you you watch him take, um, he gives me faith. Shit, watching him on video, I'm like, damn, that's what we need. Yeah, the hunt where he kills slick. Um, you know, and and he shoots and he turns around and smiles at the camera. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's still there. We're good, yeah. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. It's just we got to be careful not go too far and bridge that gap, you know, from the 50-year-olds to the 20-year-olds. Make sure that they understand how important. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys are, you know, you're you're part of this too. Like you, what you're doing for the industry, keeping everybody talking about it, keeping all the, you know, the topics relative and all, that's crazy important to the yeah. future. Yeah, you know? that's a good uh, point. It probably yeah. is. So, well, let's get your boy in here, man, and get his perspective. That'd be fun. Yeah. But I think we did a DeerCast generational update. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think it'd be a great idea. We get There's some arguments in there. There's some great debates in there. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun. Yep. Get some boys in here that's brave enough to look at Mark Drury and tell him he's wrong. <laughs> oh, dude. Where are you 15-year-old boys at yeah. to tell Mark Drury's wrong? He's going to tell Mark Drury that he's not right. But that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Oh, I think it would be interesting for everybody involved. I think it'd be really fun. Well, dude, yeah, let's get your son in here, man, and talk. I'd, I'd be interested to like just kind of like just talk to him and see where he's at on it all, get his hey, perspective. He wanted to come today, but he's got baseball. He's a pretty serious baseball player. Perfect example. You just get him back in. You can come back. We'll hang out. Oh, yeah. It's a good excuse. I tell me say. when. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, dude, I appreciate you so much for coming in. This I love this conversation. Longest DeerCast episode we've done in a long time. Oh, man, I hope I didn't get too long-winded. No, you killed it, man. I thought it was fun. Where can people find you? At 
Um, you can call my wife or you can call <laughs> Kurt because I don't do social media. Okay. okay. Let's find him on Drew Outdoors. Uh, Drew, uh, uh, Loophole's Dream Season Live is where you can see me and my son uh, okay. uh, hunt. And then I don't have any social media whatsoever. I love that, dude. Yeah. Easiest plug segment that we've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, <there you're... laughs> Nick, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, man. Everybody, thank you. Tuning in, watching, listening. Support us on DeerCast. If you're not on DeerCast again, get to the code. Save yourself some money. DeerCast is a place for like-minded people like us. There's no bullshit on DeerCast. It's all real people, all real deer hunters. Get there. You know what to do. Go shoot a giant. We love you. Peace. Peace.